Hi, I'm Devin Moore, your host for Humanity Rising's Race to Speak Up podcast and founder of Hashtag Race to Speak Up, an anti-bullying organization. The Race to Speak Up podcast is a place where we have open and engaging conversations about bullying prevention, how to be upstanders, and how we are making a positive change in our communities. So the question now is, how do you race to speak up? Hello, and welcome back to the Race to Speak Up podcast. I'm your host, Devin Moore. Joining me today is Masood Alifani. Masood is an Atlanta-based actor, mixed media artist, and writer. He was the co-host of the PBS investigative journalism show, Retro Report, which aired in 2019, and currently is the co-host of a new podcast series called Undaunted. I first learned about Masood through the National Race Amity Conference. Masood, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. Glad to be with you, man. This, this is, this is going to be fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Now, why don't you tell us about your name? Because I love your name, Masood. Do you, oh, what did it mean? Well, Masood means, uh, what I've been told, it means lucky or fortunate. Um, and then Olufani, uh, which is my last name, Olu is Yoruba, Nigerian. Um, which means of God. And then funny doesn't really mean anything. It's just a little flourish I threw on the end of there. But uh, yeah, in about 2000, I, I changed my name. I was reading a book um, by an English writer named Hugh Thomas, who's an historian, and found my birth name um, listed amongst um, some slave uh, ship captains. And so I decided to uh, change my name. So yeah, I went on a long search, man, and finally settled on Masudo the Funny. Oh, that's very interesting. I didn't know that. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. So how did you learn about Baha'i and what made you decide to join the Baha'i faith? Wow, yeah, I've been a Baha'i man since 1992. Um, I was at Morehouse then uh, here in Atlanta. Um, For those who don't know, it's an HBCU or historically black college um, founded to educate black men. And then I was seeing a young woman who was at Spelman College, uh, which is the school across the street, which is was founded to educate uh, young black women. And um, she and I were dating and she introduced me to a Baha'i who was working on campus at Spelman. And she said, um, she, who's someone who she had been friends with for a long time and had a lot of respect for. And, uh, and so how I learned about the faith was through her, uh, through the girlfriend introducing me to uh, this woman who's now like a godmother to me has been for ever since I've been a Baha'i and even before that. And uh, yeah, it took me about, I guess about a year of investigating, which is like, you know, researching, reading the text, getting to know some other Baha'is, asking difficult questions, all that stuff, which is, you know, one of the core beliefs of the faith is independent investigation of truth. So I respected that, the fact that I'm, I'm allowed to use my intellect, you know, my mind, because a lot of times in some religious circles, you're not encouraged to do that. You're not encouraged to think for yourself, you know? And um, so, yeah, so I just went on a deep investigation and, and um, finally uh, embraced the faith. And up until that point, I had, man, I was in the nation of Islam when I was a kid. I was reading the Buddhist text. I was reading the Hindu text. So I, was, I was having a lot of different religious experiences. So I was kind of open anyway, um, which I'm sure helped me in terms of finally making that, that decision. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I can kind of relate to that because when I was younger, I um, also would look like a, a bunch of different texts and stuff yeah. mm-hmm. I went to a Catholic school in middle mm-hmm. school so I was focused on that but I kind of went to go on more so I would just do little hints of other stuff 
Yeah. And then I found out about the Baha'i faith from um, Steve Sarawitz, the famous yeah. um, Baha'i follower. So yeah. yeah. And then I just started learning more from him and then doing my own research. So, but yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Steve's actually the producer behind the new podcast, Undaunted. So it's his production company that's that's uh, doing the podcast that I'm hosting, co-hosting. Why don't you tell us about Undaunted? Well, it's you know, it's a really interesting uh, format. I'm working. Um, I, it's the base of the format is is that we are centering the work of young change makers, people who are in their 20s or 30s, people of even your age, some younger, who are really engaged in changing the world, whether that be through environmental activism, racial justice, gender equality, um, whatever it is. But they're really like intentionally using their gifts, their intellect, their capacities to really, you know, um, do something meaningful to make the world a, be a better place. So we have conversations with these individuals uh, in kind of like, um, you know, just a kind of laid back format in this beautiful house, up, you know, up in uh, Beverly Hills, California, was where we filmed. But uh, just incredible group of people. My co-host is Nava Jalili, who is one of the um, youngest uh, news anchors in the history of broadcast television. Um, and just a really amazing woman uh, who, who brings a lot of energy, a lot of intelligence, um, and just a, a deep kind of grounded soulfulness to the to the show as well. So that's yeah, that that's it, man. I mean, we we had some great interviews coming up um, with some people that I'm sure that you've heard of before. Some of them you may know, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it was it's a lot of fun doing that show. A lot of fun. Oh, well, that sounds cool. I can definitely relate to having a podcast where yeah. we talk to change makers like yeah. yourself. Um, I know you also were um, the co-host of Retro Report on PBS. You want to tell us about that? Well, Retro Report was interesting. Uh, a show that was um, created by uh, public broadcasting. Um, and it basically, it was looking at news, current events through the lens of history. So like we would look at things like, um, let's see, you know, like the, the, the syndrome of, of, of concussions in the NFL. And then we would look at the history of, of how that developed, how the awareness of concussion came about and all of that sort of thing. Or we would look at um, like the history of activism in the sports, right? Through um, like people like Colin Kaepernick, um, other people. And then we would go all the way back to like the 1966 Olympic games where, um, you know, the athletes stood on the podiums and had black gloves and they raised their fist, you know? So we were making connections between the present to the past. And, uh, that was an amazing, amazing experience. I worked with Celeste Headley, who's a gifted journalist, um, uh, singer, opera singer. A lot of people don't know that, but she's an amazing opera singer and, and writer and, He's been in the business for years. And then Andy Borowitz, who writes for the New Yorker magazine, he does kind of like, um, uh, he's he's really smart comedian. I mean, really, really uh, quick-witted and uh, a great guy. Added, added a little bit of a quirky flair to the uh, to the production. So um, it was a lot of fun. We had a great time and we, we did some really interesting topics. Um, and it was just nice to be on set and uh, and have fun with Celeste. I mean, most of the time we were playing around laughing because we didn't believe these people were paying us to do this. But, you know, that's the way it worked out. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting, though, because we definitely need a lot of different platforms that really explain the history of things. Yeah. There's times where, you know, certain things just kind of gloss over mm -hmm. certain things in history. And we need to know the real, like, what actually happened. 
Absolutely. Um, and you also are the co are the creator, the creative director of Blocked, a global healing project. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, Blocked is a um, is an interesting um, project. It kind of developed out of the acting side of things, but then moved into the visual art side of things. I worked on a um, on a show for public broadcasting again uh, called Thirty Seven Weeks Sherman on the March which basically traced General William Tecumseh Sherman, uh, the Union general during the time of the Civil War, his march through Georgia to break the back of the Confederate Army. And, you know, he marched through Georgia, burnt down a lot of places, uh, particularly when they wouldn't, um, you know, surrender. He would burn out the cities or the towns or whatever. And, of course, he burned down Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta is actually a city built on top of a city that existed prior to the Civil War. And, uh, and so for 37 weeks, we tracked his movements through Georgia. It took him 37 weeks to get from one end of Georgia to the sea, to the ocean. And so we, we did this and I went to the, I went to the uh, premiere, um, which was a gala that we had here in Atlanta. And at the end of the, at the, end of the uh, film, they showed a, images of Atlanta during a time of the Civil War and they would morph up. They would do like a transition and show you what those places look like today. So they showed the Crawford Frazier brokerage house, which had a sign in the window that said Negro sales. And then when it faded up, it was Five Points Martyr Station here in Atlanta, which is the main connecting thoroughfare for all of the commuter rail lines here in Atlanta. So the north, south trains, the east, west, west, tra west train lines all converge at Five Points Martyr Station. And so I was shocked because I used to take the train to go to school to Morehouse there all the time. I have walked through that space more times than I can recall, um, but there's no marker. There's no historical like, you know, um, acknowledgement that this was what existed on this space before that. Irony of course is that like 90% of the passengers who take the train are black. So um, it, it was just really shocking to me. And I wanted to create something that would talk about that history. So I, uh, I went down to the to the train station one day without a permit, and I just filmed people like going in and out of the train. I set up a camera and just filmed people, and then I got a hold of the one image um, of the auction house that that is known to exist. I got it from the Atlanta History Center, and then I worked with an editor, and we created a film where you watch people moving in and out of the train station today, and then slowly the image of the slave auction house fades up into view. So you see both images overlapping, the one overlapping the other. So it's about the haunting of that space with that history and trying to, um, you know, render what has been erased, uh, you know, which has happened in so much of, you know, uh, of American history. We've washed over things, erased things, refused to talk about things. And I think it's necessary for us to have those important conversations. So I, it went from there to thinking about in a larger context, how I could start to think about marking spaces all over the globe that are marked by the, that have been um, kind of stained with the trauma of transatlantic slavery. So hence the Global Healing Project, which is about going to those spaces, um, recording those spaces today, and then using archival imagery and stuff to create this film that, that talks about the dual history of those spaces, so. Well, I'm a Sue, you definitely are a man who knows a lot about history. Mm -hmm. And I can 
definitely from past experiences going to a predominantly white middle school, I can see that a lot of these things, like just by what you're telling me right now, I honestly, I don't even think I knew a lot of certain things that you said. Mm -hmm. I still would do my own like research because I think this is stuff I definitely need to know. I'm glad that you have blocked and you have undaunted all these things in which you're, you know, educating others about the real history like not only the history but the real history of what happened in the past Mm -hmm. and you know another way that you show um your knowledge on these historical events is through your artwork Mm -hmm. your artwork was also featured in the rosa parks museum why Mm -hmm. don't you tell us about it well i mean you know of all the things that i do you know being a visual artist is what i've been doing the longest i've been kind of drawing since i was i think four four years old so a very long time um and, uh, you know, my work over, over the years has, you know, gone from painting to sculpture to mixed media art. Um, a lot of the work is grounded in history and historical truths. Um, it's grounded in um, uh, modalities of constructive resilience as practiced by the Black community. Um, it's grounded in, uh, you know, social stratification, uh, racial trauma. And Rosa Parks Museum approached me about doing, I got a, I think I got an email from them about possibly having a, a show at the museum in Montgomery. And uh, I, because of the historical significance of it, I was more than happy uh, and, you know, and willing to do that. And it was interesting, it was the middle of COVID. So it was just, we were just like in the, you know, the major throes of that early, like onset of COVID. And the museum was one of the few venues that was open in the entire city of Montgomery. So it's like everything was closed down. It was really bizarre. So I was there working and, you know, setting up the show and, you know, walk around Montgomery. I'd stand on the corner where Rosa Parks caught the bus, where she sat down in her seat, you know, and wouldn't get up. I um, was just walking and it was like a ghost town, but I was able to experience some of these spaces uh, in a really kind of personal way, which I probably would not have been able to do if everybody would have been out and about. Um, but yeah, we had a, it was a great show. I, I think it was a great show. Um, uh, you know, um, people, it was up for about, I think four months or so. Um, but it was also, it was quite, it was really um, remarkable because, you know, it's in the same city that they now have the, um, you know, the memorial for, um, for the uh, lynching victims which is really powerful. And a lot of the work that um, Brian Stevenson, the great uh, civil rights attorney, and who has been behind the um, Memorial for Justice, which is all about the victims of lynching there in Montgomery. And then you have the museum in Montgomery, which is built on the site, the actual site of a slave auction house there in Montgomery. And so you've got all of these historical kind of spaces. uh, And then to have a show in that space was really, yeah, it was an honor, man. It was it was great to do. So. Oh yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely cool. I'm really just listening to you. I like am very interested in what you do. That's very interesting. I know I've definitely looked at your artwork, um, and I've seen a lot of great things. And of course, I looked at Undaunted blocks. So mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of great things, and I've also from that just learned a lot off of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a Black man in America, life can definitely be very challenging mm-hmm. and hurtful at times. Have yeah. you ever dealt with racism? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I think anybody who's Black uh, is, or anybody who is uh, from Person a, of color? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, whether yeah. they're Indigenous, First Nations, uh, Latino, Latinx, um, you know, uh, Asian, 
you know, has had some encounter with some form of racism. I mean, I think black people, we've experienced probably the most, um, you know, uh, vitriol, you know, vitriolic form of it, you know, um, because of the, the history of slavery and then Jim Crow. Um, and of course our indigenous brothers and sisters have been through a lot of hell here as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, man, since I was a little kid, I mean, I remember going to the, hanging out in the playground at school, kids, you know, talking about my hair, the size of my lips, the shape of my nose. Um, yeah, all of that stuff. I got called the N-word as a kid, um, you know, um, and, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. And then as you get older, people say things, things get a little more subtle. It's like people don't just say things out, you know, outright. It becomes a lot more subtle. And then you notice because you're getting older and you have a more sophisticated way of looking at the world, you begin to notice things that people are doing. And then people say things and you're like, wow, where did that come from? Do you know what you just said, you know? So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I, I've definitely had a lot of experiences with racism and I'm very, um, because of it, obviously I'm very sensitive to, um, to expressions of racism, even when they're subtle, you know? And, and, and when people may not even be aware what they're saying is like, you know, racist or problematic and then helping them to understand, you know, that's really what you said. You might want to think about that because um, that's, uh, that could be deeply hurtful and it's also doesn't reflect well on you as a person either. So, yeah, yeah. Were there ever times where someone, you know, an instance of subtle racism where you may have just not even acknowledged it or because no. honestly I can understand that there's definitely been times where um let's just say people of another race have said yeah. something racist to me and it was just subtle I can definitely understand what you mean by subtle they just kind of work into the conversation and yeah. they themselves don't even see that they are being hateful at that time too they uh -huh. don't even understand that yeah um, yeah yeah, it's hard. I mean, you know, sometimes people say things and they, the thing that's, I've been really aware of lately is when people want to give black people advice about what to do. And it's like, they've never spent any time in our shoes. They don't know what it's like to be part of a marginalized group in that way. And to tell me how I should respond to racism or um, that it's that, you know, that I'm, um, that's a figment of my imagination or that it's excuse or whatever. And I'm like, wow, that's really, you're really speaking from a privileged position. I mean, you're speaking from a positionality of someone who has not experienced this, but yet you're talking about it like you have a deep and long history with these experiences, which you do not. So it's just really, it's, it's really arrogant to me and problematic. And whenever I hear stuff like that, I always try to correct people when they say things like that. So, yeah. I get what you mean. Yeah. Privilege definitely gives a lot of people the power. I mean, within privilege, it comes power for them to say these horrible things or mm -hmm. to say these just discrimination, all these disgusting things. I mean, yeah. so when it came to my, well, I went through a lot of racist cyberbullying in middle school and it was just those three white boys mm -hmm. by them, you know, being able to do that and the school just saying, or like really just downplaying everything and telling me to just go back to class, that's showing their privilege they're almost just getting away with it. But, you know, I said no, my parents said no, and I told mm -hmm. them what happened and we worked to, you know, we just told the school, we showed it to the school, but unfortunately mm -hmm. they basically did nothing. Yeah. 
And, you know, like I want to be a part of that positive change to Mm -hmm. help others and educate others when it comes to bullying prevention. Mm -hmm. And that's why I honestly admire what you're doing with educating others about the real history. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep saying the real history that happens, like all these different historical events. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. I I do admire you, Masood. I think that's very cool. Why don't you, um, yeah, sorry. (laughs) No, I said, thanks. I was just saying, thank you. Yeah, and then why don't we go back to, um, or why don't we talk about Race Amity? Why was yep. it important for you to be a guest uh, speaker for Race Amity? Well, because Smitty asked me, uh, who's <laughs> like the founder of the, you know, Race Amity. So uh, he's the managing, has been the managing director, uh, I guess, since its inception. But uh, I think he's kind of transitioned out of that, and I think somebody else just recently got appointed. But I mean, Smitty asked me, and I, you know, I respect. And admire Smitty, have a love in my heart for him and what he's trying to do. Um, I think it's important to point out the ways that different cultural groups have worked together throughout history to advance the cause of the oneness of humanity. Um, we don't often highlight those partnerships, but it is important to highlight those things so that people know that, oh, okay, this is not that unusual. Like, oh, there's a history, there's like a legacy, a lineage of this, where blacks and whites came together, Christians, Jews, Muslims, and and, and Christians or whatever it is, you know, um, where people came together because they recognized that they had a shared interest, a common interest in making sure that everybody had their rights, that everybody had the ability to go anywhere that they wanted, to aspire to become anything that they wanted to become and uh, not to be oppressed by, you know, the, the, the system. So I think I, for me, it was important to be there and to be in that space and support the work that he's doing and the people that he's working with. And, you know, also to be around some cool people, man, who are, who are doing some good work. I mean, there were a lot of these, you know, there were a lot of cool people there, man, doing some amazing things. So I was happy to be, to be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was happy to be a part of it too, especially when, this, um, excuse me, especially when Smitty also called me and like talked to me. That was yeah. actually really cool. Mm-hmm. That was, um, I think that was the first time, uh, well, the first year, um, wait, 2020, well, the first time that I was on the national conference, mm-hmm. like saying like, Devin, um, come and speak for, or come and be a guest on the, um, a guest speaker for the Race Amity conference. Yeah. The way that I just went like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. yeah. Like my, I think I was 16 at that time. Yeah. So my 16 year old self was like, whoa, that's crazy. And then them also calling me again and saying, all right, Devin, we want you to speak again. Mm -hmm. That's also cool for my 17-year-old self at that point. So I think that's definitely cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's good. I mean, it's it's important, man. I mean, the work you're doing is important and we need to make sure that you guys, man, I mean, a lot of the younger cats, man, uh, the young men, the young women, that you all have space and we are working to create that space for you guys to share your ideas and what you've learned. And because it really, it's, it's an example to your peers, you know, to people that you go to school with, people who are in your peer group, that, hey, man, I might be young, I might be in high school, I might be in junior high school, but I can make a contribution and make a difference. And we all can make a difference, you know, every, every person on the planet can make a difference, no matter how small, no matter how young they are, they can make a difference. I agree. And yeah. we just need to continue to tell people that and encourage them to be a part of that real change or be a part of that positive change. Um, so what advice, what advice do you have for people my age who are advocates and making positive changes in their communities? Hey, man, just keep going. Keep um, standing up for what you believe in. Um, 
you know, just um, remember to balance, you know, it's important to balance the fiery energy of, of youth um, with your younger years with also the wisdom of the elders too. So listen to people who are, who are elders who have been in doing what you're doing for a long time. Doesn't mean that you have to follow everything that they say, but there's, there's lessons to be learned that can save you some time from their journey, from their experience. So it's important to just, you know, just to, to keep grinding, man, um, be clear about what it is, the change that you wanna see, um, contribute your time, your gifts, your, your effort, and listen, and just listen. You know, we're all students, man. I don't care how old you are. You could be 95 years old. We're ultimately, we're all students and we can all learn. And um, so it's important that we approach every day and every person that we encounter as an opportunity to, to learn a lesson. And so that, that's my advice. That's what I would say. Yeah. And I know everyone listening, including myself, are definitely learning a lot from you now. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, what's been the most challenging part of your journey? Wow, most challenging. Let's see. I think um, I think learning over time, learning to believe in myself took a long time. I think coming from a, I, I, you know, I, I came from a home situation that was, um, there was some abuse in the, in the home. So um, I, I was struggling with a lot of that when I was younger. And um, so coming to terms with some of that, um, I had to do a lot of reading, had to do a lot of praying, had to do some counseling. Um, so coming to terms with all of that and then learning to believe in myself, I think was the hardest part of the journey. You know, I always had the, I mean, I think, you know, we always have the ability, we always have what it is that we need, but depending on the circumstances of your life, your life circumstances can make you not believe in what it is that you already have within you. So they can trick you into doubting what is in you. And then if you don't have people around you who will help you to see that, you know, no, you, the way you've been thinking about this is wrong. There's actually greatness in you. You don't know it yet, but I see it. And you can hold on to their belief until you begin to believe it yourself. And I think that is really um, something that's so important, something that I had to really, really lean into to uh, overcome those early challenges and to, um, to be able to sit back and say, you know what? Yeah, there's, there's genius in me, but it's not, it's not a genius. I'm also clear about where it comes from. And it's not like, it's not like I was born, you know, a genius. It's not, it's not, it doesn't come from a suit. It comes from something beyond me. And there's genius in me, but there's also genius in you. There's genius in all of us. We just have to understand and come to terms with what our particular genius is. You know, some people are brilliant in creativity. Some people are brilliant in business. Some people are brilliant in, organiz in organizing, you know? Some people are brilliant emotionally. They can really tap into the feelings of themselves and others, you know? So um, I'm just really now at this point, I'm interested in really utilizing all of the brilliance, all of the genius that is within me, being a good steward of that, and also acknowledging and championing the brilliance and the genius that I see in others. And so that's, that's kind of where I am now. Wow, Masood, that's some really good advice. What's been the what's been the most rewarding part of your journey? I think the staying the course, man. You know, it's just like it's like even when things get difficult, just keep going. You know, there's a real kind of satisfaction that you have that you that you learn, 
and that you gain on the other side of walking through people's doubts, even your own doubts. You know, as black people, um, we're often underestimated, overlooked, pushed to, pushed to the margins. And if we're not careful, that stuff can become an internal narrative that we never escape, that we never leave behind us, right? And we become self-destructive and other destructive. And I think learning, learning, you know, through time, through the encouragement of others, through the love and support of key people in your life along the way, just to keep going and not to make those people who thought that they um, were prophetic in terms of determining what your life would be, not to make them prophetic. Make liars out of them. Use that as an energy, as a fuel to just keep going. And then the more that you, the more confidence you gain in your successes, the more you learn from your failures, the stronger you become, and the more distance you put between their limited view of who you are and the greatness of who you actually are and who, who you are becoming. So that's, that's for me, that's a really profound um, and rewarding thing that I've learned along the way. Yeah, I, I have no words, just all great advice. I'm so, you're so interesting. You're like really so interesting because I can definitely agree with you. I mean, the youth definitely do have the power mm -hmm. and the youth need to realize that. Mm -hmm. And that's why they should have that support person or people yeah. to really keep them going or just, re well, first recognize it and keep them going with whatever, you know, whatever good thing that they're doing. Absolutely. So I really can definitely agree with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's important. We, we need, you guys need our support and our encouragement. You need us to um, create spaces for you all to, um, it, it, we, you need us to champion in you and create spaces in spaces that you're, you haven't been in yet, in spaces that we might be in, but just because we're older. And you need us to like create a space for you there for us to get out of the way sometimes and allow you to have that space and champion you having that space. We need your energy, your ideas, your brilliance, your gifts, your talent. Um, so both, we all need each other. You know, we all need each other. There's no, there's no, all of these false walls we set up, old, young, you know, um, black, white, whatever it is, you know, um, you know, whatever the, 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 the false equivalencies or dichotomies that we've set up for, for one another, we all need each other. And so knowing that it's like, okay, we gotta work together. In order for us to create the change that we want, what do you guys need? Great, okay, this is my advice based on my experience. You all have to decide, but you all get amongst yourselves based on the advice that we're giving you. You guys figure it out, we'll come back together, we'll talk about it. So this kind of collaboration between groups across lines, we recognize that together we're stronger than we are individually. And that's that's how we really make profound and lasting change. Yeah, I definitely agree. All of what you're saying then just kind of reminded me of the Baha'i faith and how we're oh. all a part of one family, which is the human family. Absolutely. And we can definitely learn off of each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and all of the all of the secondary identities that we set up for yourself. I'm a black man, you know, you're a young black man. But that's secondary. Ultimately, we're spiritual beings having this like human experience, right? We express ourselves culturally from whatever culture we grew, we grew up in, you know, we express ourselves, you know, from whatever social economic background we come from, but those are all secondary identities. Ultimately, what makes you and I brothers is that we have a we share a spiritual identity 
that comes from a greater source than us. So it all comes from the same source. So it, so it makes us family, man. We're all family. Awesome. Well, thank you, Masood. This has been a really good conversation. Um, my last question for you is how can people find you? Why don't you tell us your social media platforms and your website? Well, you know, I got off social media. I, a little bit before Facebook, the whole thing, they, you know, all the craziness with Facebook came out, but I was having issues with um, kind of the heavily curated space of social media where people just like, you know, put up these like really glamorous images of themselves, like their lives are perfect. And I'm like, come on, dude, <laughs> nobody's life is that good. Just stop it right now, you know? <laughs> So I'm not on social media anymore, but if people are interested, they can reach me. They can go to uh, my website. Um, if you just key in my name online, my website pops up and then people can shoot me an email if they're interested in contacting me. Um, but all of all this, you know, if you key in my name in the, um, you know, in the search engine, a bunch of things will pop up. It's one of the, it's one of the good and, and, and like annoying things about getting a little bit well-known you know, it's like people that can just pop in your name now. I mean, back in the day, like people had to really search, you know, but now they can just put in my name as like stuff pops up. So, you know, that that's probably the best way to do it. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Masood. Thank you for everything that you're doing to create better communities and also to educate and inspire others. Oh, thank you, Devin. Thank you for the work you're doing, man. I'm just glad that we got young brothers like you, man, in the field doing the work, brother. And I'm a little bit of an older brother for you. And I'm in the field right next to you, man. I'm laboring in the field with you, brother. So we'll, we'll get this thing, we'll get this ship turned right together. Thanks, Masood. You got it. And you thank you care. for everyone listening. I hope to see you guys at future Race to Speak Up podcast. If you have any questions about the Race to Speak Up podcast, feel free to contact me at racetospeakup at gmail.com. Make sure to follow at Race to Speak Up on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on future podcasts. And make sure to join the Humanity Rising movement. Humanity Rising offers scholarships for students making a difference in the world through service. Visit www.humanityrising.org for more information. And remember to ask yourself this question. How do you race to speak up?